Welcome to the Tune Shed, the workshop for everything music. I'm your host, Make Blurry, and I'm here with my dear childhood friend and professional musician, Marty Gray. What's good, Marty? Ooh, it's going to be a good one. It's going to be a good one today. Are we going to resolve this cliffhanger in the room? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we're going to continue. Let's go. We're going to continue on our, uh, on our sample libraries journey. Okay. Which is odd because we're doing a history lesson. Oh. <laughs> but I promise it'll all circle back. <laughs> As usual, we'll have a great, uh, a great uh, transition and connection and all the dots and lights will turn on and be connected, respectively. Yes, and, and everything that we routed will work and nothing is going to go wrong ever. Yes, none of our audio equipment will crash. All right. <laughs> Man, we, I, we need to make like um, producer's prayer, like... Let there not be any Pro Tools crashes. Let me remember Let to plug everything your... in that I <laughs> needed to. <laughs> Let thou art remember to save often. <laughs> you know when something's not working and you're like getting frustrated and then you realize it's not plugged in and you're kind of like, well, that was on me. Like That is kind of annoying. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. It's a very humbling experience. It is. Yeah. Huh. Uh, so... Where we left off last time, mm -hmm. uh, I was saying that I had met a, a very good and accomplished prepared piano player in the studio. Um, and she played a prepared piano for me for one of her projects and wanted to figure out how to sort of track this thing and, and record it. And through that process, I became like so in love with the instrument and so inspired that I wanted to make a sample pack out of her prepared piano. Mm -hmm. So in order to understand what a prepared piano is, I sort of wanted to take a little deep dive into what a prepared piano is. I wanted to, I wanted to talk about it. Yeah. Do it up. What I mean, how so, do you define it? Right? Well, yeah. So I, a, a prepared piano is defined as any grand piano with a functioning string and hammer set. Okay that has been manipulated in some way and that's it <laughs> it feels like <laughs> it's not the end of the sentence <laughs> no of course and um you know the i think the string and hammer set thing is important mm. because really like the way a piano works for for those of you who've never bothered to look inside it's really just a set of strings and then each key is connected to a little hammer that hits the string and that's that's how it works. A prepared piano is somehow altering the way that that hammer hits the string or the way that that string resonates. Hmm. Right? So any any different way that you can get that piano to sound, um traditionally a prepared piano when people when you know when most people think of a prepared piano, they think of the originator of the idea of a prepared piano, which was John Cage. And John Cage had this collection of sonatas for piano in which he would instruct the pianist to, quote unquote, prepare the piano beforehand by um, putting a screw in between, you know, string C4 and C sharp four um, oh. or like put a, like gently rest a nut like, you know, like a hardware nut on top of the D7 string inside the piano and let it let it rattle around you know so Ooh. that was like 
really when most people think of prepared piano, they think of nuts and bolts, right, inside the piano. They think of, you know, wedging stuff in there. Um, John Cage was a really big band of, really big fan of rubber bands. So he would instruct the piano player to tie rubber bands around certain strings to sort of mute them. Wow. And that's how it started. And so for a while, um, really at the very beginning of the prepared piano thing, John Cage was writing these very like rhythmic sounding, almost like percussion ensemble industrial thing mm -hmm. um, that you would just play with a piano. Wow. Cause I assume so, you would kind of lose some of the tone of the note. Like if you had rubber bands wrapped around a string, like it kind of becomes so muted that it's more of a percussive thing maybe than a melodic thing. Maybe. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and in some cases you lose like the quality of the note altogether and it's really just like a string buzzing slightly on an on a bolt. Right. You know, like very slightly. So it completely transforms um, it. Or well, it has a whole yeah. sliding scale of doing nothing to the note to something that's a completely different sound. Right. And it's such a cool idea because it's sort of an endless possibility of alterations you can make to a piano. Right. Which is great. That is great. Um yeah, it's super fun. And I, I think obviously people have run with it, but we have to start from the beginning. So John Cage, when he invented this idea, he wrote sonatas for specifically altered pianos, right? So he mm -hmm. would he would have these huge um, graphs at the beginning of the piece instructing the player exactly what to do to the piano before you played the song. And then he would write the song and it would, you know, the song would be crafted specifically for the alterations you made to the piano wow so i uh i dug up some sort of like free source examples of some prepared piano stuff so right now we'll listen to uh john cage's sonata five for prepared piano which i thought had a particularly percussive element to it okay Isn't it weird to like know that that's a piano? Yeah. What? That is the, it sounds like a band, like a bit, it sounds like a percussion class, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So how different like if you and i just got that sheet music and found a grand piano and just redid that how would it sound completely different or like relatively the same or you know because surprisingly similar really okay so it's like yeah, kind you'd of a be robust surprised at how similar it is yeah like you can just write down specifically what you want and it tends to shake out mm -hmm. yeah well with john cage john cage was very very specific with his instructions too oh okay so you know, it's not just like throw a screw in there. It's like take a, you know, a three fourth screw threaded this exact way, Phillips head screw, and like mm -hmm. wind it two threads in, in between this string, two thirds of the way up. Like it's very, very specific on how he wants it. Because right. if you wedge a screw in between two strings halfway through, it's going to generate an overtone. Oh, you're right. You know? 
And if you wedge it um, two thirds of the way through exactly, it's going to generate the next overtone up in the harmonic series. So um, he's he's crafting the exact sound that he wants based on the placement and of the screws and the nuts and the bolts and all that. That's crazy. Wait, we have something on the harmonic series, right? For if, if you don't understand why overtones are made when you cut strings in half or in thirds, um, what's that episode, Marty? You know, we don't actually have a harmonic series episode yet. Oh no! <laughs> but I think we should. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. So that was probably very confusing. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, we'll get to that. Essentially, like, sounds, oh my gosh, sounds are full of more sounds, and you can amplify them. <laughs> you sure can. That's about the worst explanation of the harmonic series I've ever heard, but we'll get to that another time. That's really cool, though, that he's that specific, because also I was thinking just in how much a particular thing dampens a note. Like if he's doing this in his house and he's like, ooh, this sounds really cool. I'm going to let it resonate and cut it off and kind of make a rhythm out of that. And then someone else makes it and it, it doesn't resonate at all. Then the whole piece kind of falls flat, right? So you probably have to be so specific. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think sort of the way that the, the sheet music is crafted and the notes you play mm-hmm. are like dependent on the kind of timbre that the prepared piano needs that you know it's like all very very deliberate so it sort of has to sound like boom you know it's there's like a little melodic element to it yeah definitely as like weird and and industrial as it sounds yeah so what's really cool is that this idea didn't just die with john cage it sort of has evolved and john cage had a ton of contemporaries and a ton of students who all went on to be pretty cool pianists and composers, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, one of which, I don't know if this guy is a contemporary of John Cage's, but his name is uh, Hauschka, mm-hmm. and he did a Tiny Desk concert for NPR. Ooh, I love those. Once. And his whole thing is sort of like, he's described as the, the rain stick prepared pianist, because he really likes like whooshy textures with really beautiful sort of melodic playing. Very, very different than the sort of very percussive, uh, unmelodic thing that we just heard. Yeah. I'm trying to imagine how you make a rain stick act in a piano. Right. So it's very difficult to imagine. The way that he accomplished it was he put a bunch of ping pong balls all in one section, the mid the mid range section of the grand piano. Whoa! And on the higher registers, he put a bunch of like tiny little marbles on the higher parts of the um of the piano. Mm-hmm. And so I'll sort of play a section of him during this uh, NPR Tiny Desk concert. Okay.
Go listen to that whole thing because it's awesome. Yeah, really. It started and I was just listening to the textures and how it's kind of a piano and some noises. And then it's also one instrument. And then all of a sudden his playing got to me. and I was like invested in the story he was telling. Yeah, yeah, it's it's quite pretty. It's quite. It would be like a kind of a cool piece even without the prepared piano. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, when I say ping pong balls, there are like thirty ping pong balls in that piano. That's incredible. Like it's crazy. Go go watch it if um, if you have time. The the way you, uh, I don't know how to pronounce Hauschka. It's spelled H A U S C H K A. Hauschka, yeah. Okay, yeah, I'll check um, that out. But the the whole piece is is brilliant. It's really cool, and I th- I think it's so it's such an interesting take on the prepared piano thing that John Cage set up because it's so sort of nonspecific. Like the ping pong balls are rattling around; they jump from string to string because they're so light. Mm-hmm. There's sort of a very like inconsistent element to that method, and so you're sort of gonna get like a slightly different idea specifically every time. Yeah. There's a moment at the end there where like there's a new sort of sound from maybe a ping pong ball bouncing at a certain mm-hmm. rate that wasn't there before and you couldn't really plan for that. It just kind of comes in whenever it happens, right? Yeah, it just seemed like the ping pong ball got like stuck or something or like was rattling around extra hard for some reason. Yeah, it's really cool. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, I I just love that idea. Like very cool take on the on the whole prepared piano thing yeah it's brilliant so people have gotten really really nuts with it and there are pieces out there um specifically by steven scott's entrada which is a whole ensemble of players um that play pianos with like string bows and mallets and stuff so you need like multiple people to play this Uh but what you do is you, you know how um, like a violin bow has horse hair attached to it. Mm-hmm. So what you do is you dis you disassemble the horse hair, and you wrap it around like one or two strings of a piano, and you sort of like floss the piano string and sort of make it resonate that way. Oh wow! So you kind of pull the horse hair out, and it's rubbing against the piano string as it comes. Yeah, that's right. Like, kind of like you would play a violin string you just like let the horsehair vibrate the string by playing the bow you sort of do the same thing by like pulling up and down on the horsehair when it's threaded around the piano strings and it makes the strings resonate oh that's really cool which is awesome so this is multiple Um, people playing one piano at once yeah in different ways (laughs) yeah they all sort of like the they play it on a grand piano and they like take the top off of it and they all just like crowd around the piano and do different things to it so in this piece that i'll demonstrate right now um i'll play a little piece by steven scott's entrada um there are i think two or three people bowing different notes Mm -hmm. um different people playing notes with mallets so they actually go into the piano and like hit the strings with mallets (laughs) Which is funny because that's kind of what you're doing with piano anyway. <laughs> True. <laughs> um, and there are also people playing some notes with an ebo, oh. which is cool. An e an ebo is a little device that generates an electromagnetic pulse that makes uh, strings resonate. It makes them vibrate on on their own. 
Those are so cool. I've seen those before. Their effect pretty is awesome. wild. Yes. Yeah, they're they're awesome. You can play them on pianos, on grand pianos. You can play them on they're most common on electric guitars, but you can also play them on acoustic guitars too. Mm. Um so yeah, th- this is one of Stephen Scott's Entrada's um pieces. spoke the piece is called entrada <laughs> oh that's such a, that is such a cool piece I, i'm wondering like what type of scale that is they're playing there or yeah it's really cool because it's again it sounds like a whole band they're using the whole range of the piano they have a percussive thing they have this melody yeah. they have these little like kind of chords bopping around it's really cool yeah it is cool it's got a sort of a spanish element to it it's vaguely phrygian Ah, Phrygian, okay. Phrygian. You can tell because of the half step between one and two. Ah. Oh, nice ear. Okay, that's a great way to remember Phrygian, too. Yeah, Locrian has the same thing, but, you know, Locrian, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Again, if you're confused, (laughs) check out our, um, what's that series called? Why am I spacing on the name right now? Uh, Um, The Modal series. Of course, the Modal series, where we talk about all the modes. Um, I think we have yet to get to Phrygian, but I think it's the next one we're going to cover. Ooh, so a little spoiler. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little, yeah, I planned it. Planned it. <laughs> Intentional. I don't <laughs> planned it. <laughs> so, as you might have I mean, you might have come to this conclusion already, but there are so many ways of preparing the piano and then so many ways of exploiting that preparation. Yeah. Right? So this brings us to um, my friend at the studio. Yes. <laughs> so this person, her name is Lucy Yao, and she's a composer. Um, she grew up around where I live in Ann Arbor, Michigan, but she is based in New York, and she's a pianist, a composer. She does a ton of like really cool art projects out of New York, and you can find her. I mean, if you just type in L. L U C Y Y A O on Google, you'll find her right away on luciad.com. You can learn all about her. She's, she's super cool. She's always doing work. And whenever she is visiting family, she comes into the studio and works on, you know, whatever, whatever she's working on. She does a lot of commissions, a lot of compositions for her job. And she has a unique brand of prepared piano herself. And the reason why 
she does is because she studied with one of John Cage's contemporaries in college. Oh, no way. So she's like a direct descendant from the from the guy who made prepared piano. Sorry, this makes everyone listening one, two, three, four people away from John Cage. Pretty good. That's right. <laughs> Pretty good. <laughs> and her whole thing is she has found a, a very specific kind of putty that you use on a piano. And the putty is, is not only resonant and allows the piano to, in her words, speak and breathe very well, but it also doesn't leave behind an oily residue, which was the problem with like different kinds of putty before. Because it ruins the piano, right? <laughs> yeah, it's not. Well, I mean, it's just not good for piano strings. Like you never want really anything on piano strings, yeah. dust, grime, oil, like everything just like alters the timbre, but she somehow found like a unique combination of materials to make this really great putty. And in order to play one of her pieces, there are very specific amounts of putty that you use via weight and very specific placements. So whenever she comes in and like records her prepared piano stuff, she always is very, very deliberate on you know how much she's putting on, where she's putting it, how how um, how pressed the putty is into the strings, because that also makes a difference. Oh, like, yep. you know, the putty can sort of like wrap around the strings and give it a more like percussive quality and and dampen the sound a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So, basically, when the first or second time that she came into the studio. I was like, this sound is incredible. How would you like to make a sample pack? And she agreed. And the deal was that she would provide all of the, you know, all of the putty and she would play each sample because she kind of knows the touch. Yeah. And I would set up all the mics and record it. And so we set on to make this enormous sample pack uh -huh. with like eight different velocities on each note and every single note of the piano was recorded. Oh my God. Eight different velocities so, on every note. Yeah. So it's, um, 88 times eight, whatever that is too much. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how many, that's how many samples we have in this pack. Oh my God. Wow. Which is cool. And I, I used, uh, three sets of microphones for the, um, for the project Three cents. Oh my god! How many audio files did you end up with? <laughs> so yeah, so I had I think a grand total of. Let's see. So the close mics I had four mics, two and two. Yeah, so I had eight mics. So eight times eight times eighty-eight. That's how many specific audio files there are in the sample pack. Wow. Whatever that is. How did you like? How I'm. I know this is a little off track, but how did you even go about like? choosing did you concatenate all of those mics recordings for each one or did you choose certain mics for each sample or how did you even go about organizing all this on the back end what a great question that's exactly what we'll talk about in episode three. Oh my god <laughs> <laughs> oh i want to build a sample oh. pack now marty <laughs> <laughs> we will discuss how to sift through 5,632 audio files and uh, make one sample pack. <laughs> and it's still fun? 
<laughs> we're still having fun, baby. Wow. Incredible. Okay. I'm stoked on that. <laughs> Dang. It's going to be great. In, um, for the outro, maybe maybe I'll just play the, the sample pack a little bit. Yeah. I want to hear it so bad. This is so cool. Like making a whole putty and designing it. And what a project. Yeah, it was really fun. Really fun to work on. Cool. Is that where we're leaving it? Yeah, we're leaving it That's there, the baby. cliffhanger? Oh, my gosh. That's it. All right. Well, people, it's been real. Um, much love and see you soon. Let's go, Marty. Bye, everybody. Oh, nice. It's lovely.